0: Yeah, so I, I completed my PhD two and a half years, maybe three years ago, um, and emerging out of that process, I, I, I decided to explore the option of, of writing a book that, that deals with uh, masculinity. And um, so I've, com- I've com- completed the book, and it's sitting with the publishers at the moment um, waiting to be released probably around August this year. Um, the title of the book is Contested Masculinities. And essentially, um, I'm asking the question, what, what does it mean to be male? Um, and, and then looking specifically at the ways in which um, the biblical text has often been used uh, to erase options um, for, for giving expression to masculinity. And what I mean by that is that I think sometimes um the christian community can read the biblical text in very narrow-minded ways and um, that often eliminates options of giving expression to a range of different um uh, masculine I- identities so I, I challenge that that idea in a in a fairly significant way in the book and explore that the idea that within the biblical text itself there there are options um, that are sometimes ignored um by those within the christian community so it, it's, it's not going to make too many friends in the Christian community, but that's also okay because at the end of the day, I'm trying to pursue a, a higher um, sort of goal of, of liberating some of the narrow-minded uh, thinking that sometimes plays out in those spaces.
1: What's your life story? Welcome to Inspirational Interviews with Jen Rod, where you will discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth. Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here, and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful life with your host, Jen Rod. Hi guys, welcome back to Inspirational Interviews. I can't wait to kick on with this conversation. It's with a cousin of mine. When we were younger, we used to be seriously close, have lots of pillow fights on the beds. And uh, yeah, we lost contact because our parents moved to other parts of the country. And, you know, then you don't see each other again. But um, I've noticed a lot of his movements on social media and it really has always caught my eye and got my attention. And he's got a book coming out soon. And I really wanted to connect with him and just, you know, talk to him about it and and talk to him about the book and and what he's been up to and he has every degree under the sun related to religion and he's a priest and yeah he Ph, has PhDs and masters etc in in religious studies and he's super interesting person and this book that's um yeah that he's now just written has got to do with masculinity and certainly um empowering the conversation of homosexuality and um and creating a safe space through yeah through providing the perspective that he sees um that everyone should be able to to express themselves and to be who they are and um yeah drawing on information from the Bible that actually supports this as well. So, you know, I, I've i always sort of stumbled when it comes to conversations of religion um, because I'm not super well-versed with religion, yet religion is very much a part of my life. I grew up uh, with religious grandparents and, you know, I went to church and um, my school was religious. We had chapel service every day uh, so so religion 's always been very much a part of my life, and you know what I really liked about this conversation and what um, Robert encourages is um, allowing the unasked questions to be asked, you know which otherwise would uh, create a disruption um, if asked and he 's going out there and he 's addressing these questions. Uh, associated with masculinity homosexuality and so forth and um, yeah I ask him questions too that um, that one generally would not ask a priest so to speak so you know this is it's uh, yeah what an amazing human being I can't wait to kick on with this conversation in a minute So before I kick in with the conversation, as I always say uh, to those guys who are contacting me around um, interviewing needs, you can do so on my website. So if you go to my website at inspirationalinterviews.com then you will see uh, there's a there's a section there um, where you can go in and, um, yeah, just fill out the form and then we can discuss what interviewing needs you have. And otherwise, guys, follow me on Instagram. It's sort of my current affairs, you know, where I'm always posting things. It's a great page. It's always positive. Um, and I hope it brings inspiration to, to my followers there, uh, which is also inspirational interviews. Yeah. Um, and yeah, share this on with a friend. Subscribe on the website. Every week you'll get a new story in your mailbox and you can just click straight on that and listen to the story. And yeah, as I said, share it on with a friend. I'm growing the show organically, so it would be amazing if you passed uh, the knowledge on of this show to people that you think would benefit or would enjoy life stories. Um So, yeah, guys, without any further ado, let's give a warm cyber welcome for Robert Stegman. Cool, man. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, good, man. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Yeah. Yeah, it's obviously a strange time, you know, for everyone and everyone has a different story to tell.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think let's let's just go in and, um, yeah, let's tell the listeners who Robert Stegman is.
0: That's a great question. I think he's trying to be he's, he's been trying to figure that one out for a long time. Yeah.
1: I think that's our life's mission, right? But but anyway, from where you are right now at yeah, I think you're also forty two now, right? I am. Yeah. So Robert Stegman at forty two, how would you describe yourself now? Well, how would you sort of introduce yourself to an audience?
0: I would introduce myself in a, my, a number of different ways. I would say that I am a thickly layered, textured, and complicated individual. Um, <laughs> if I had to describe what I do on a, <laughs> um if I had to describe what what my, my um, job is, I would say that I'm involved in higher education, um, and I'd also describe myself as a biblical scholar and... Yeah, so I mean, there's a whole range of things that have kind of characterized my my story on, on many different levels, but I think, yeah. yeah. But and that's why what I else do, would you do, say? I'm curious now. Yeah, so I mean, I think I'd also just, I'd describe myself in terms of uh, the kinds of things that I'm passionate about, right? So definitely passionate about teaching, definitely passionate about social justice and Kind of human flourishing. So the idea of, of people really flourishing and developing and kind of seeing education as one of the primary mechanisms for enabling that, that flourishing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's kind of led me on a very interesting journey. So I started out as, as you know, um, a student studying uh, theology and um, kind of planning to, to either go into full time ministry. Um, or, or end up in a, in a theological institution teaching students, um, and I've had a, a share of experiences in both those spaces. Yeah. Um, but currently, I'm I'm more in the, the sort of higher education leadership administration side of things, dealing with the design of new academic programs and ensuring quality. Um, so I've had the full range of of experience within in the higher education space, but. Uh, Still at heart a a biblical scholar trying to make sense of the world and um, more recently trying to make sense of masculinity as well so
1: yeah I've noticed that and um, so let's just from my perspective guys so just to introduce my listeners to you so Robert is my cousin and um, you know when we were small we used to like hang out all the time I mean it was like (laughs) <laughs> bouncing on beds, you know, hitting each other with cushions, basically. It was just, it, that's how we grew up and we were super close. And then, like you know, life happens yeah. and your parents move in different directions and then you don't see each other for the rest of your life. <laughs> so that's kind of a bit like us. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've always known you've, you know, you've been very um, involved in the biblical world and, you know, that you you started... Um, your your life sort of journey in that world studying theology yeah. and then you know so and then from there we sort of you know I haven't really had the chance to catch up with you and the reason why I wanted to bring you on the show is because um I've you know I've had sort of um yeah just little uh peaks of uh you know pop ups of things that you've posted on LinkedIn or whatever and mm. you know it's just got my attention because I can. Uh, you know, I have a feeling for passion. I have a feeling for when people are really mm. sort of connecting with themselves, you know, and going out there to to really, you know, connect with truth. And that's yeah. why I wanted to talk with you. You know, I don't know everything you're doing, but it's that's my process is to bring the story out from also a completely mm. naive perspective. And, and, you know, to I'm curious about your life because I can see you so passionate you know so um that's yeah. why i wanted to have you on the show i mean you said to me look jen i don't know what i can offer your listeners well you know any human <laughs> being who's connecting with their truth everyone can relate to that you know no matter what sort of sure. as long as it's obviously kind to humanity it doesn't matter what it is you know what i mean yeah no. Because obviously totally, I you know totally. can never bring a Hitler on the show, you know what I mean, like no one can associate with <laughs> that kind of person, so you know it's anyone and that, that's kind of the sort of the caveat is obviously anyone connect can connect with a human being if there's a you know sense of yeah obviously you know kindness towards humanity, and then through that you know connecting yeah. with truth, so yeah. yeah, so that's sort of where I'm coming from and what I want to explore with you today um And yeah, so you've also just written a book and or you are about to finish. So tell us about this book also.
0: Yeah, so I I completed my PhD two and a half years, maybe three years ago. Mm. Um, And emerging out of that process, I I, I decided to explore the option of of writing a book that that deals with uh, masculinity yeah. And um, so I've, com- I've com- completed the book and it's uh, sitting with the publishers at the moment um, waiting to be released probably around August this year. Um, the title of the book is Contested Masculinities.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: essentially um, I'm asking the question, what, what does it mean to be male? Um, and, and then looking specifically at the ways in which um, the biblical text has often been used uh, to erase options um, for, for giving expression to masculinity. And what I mean by that is that I think sometimes um, the Christian community can read the biblical text in very narrow-minded ways, and um, that often eliminates options of giving expression to a range of different um, uh, masculine I- identities. So I, I challenge that that idea in a, in a fairly significant way in the book and explore that the idea that within the biblical text itself, there, there are options um, that are sometimes ignored um, by those within the Christian community. So it, it's, it's not going to make too many friends in the Christian community, but that's also okay because at the end of the day, I'm trying to pursue a, a higher um, sort of goal of, of liberating some of the narrow-minded uh, thinking that sometimes plays out in those spaces.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Yeah. Wow, I like I like beautifully said the way you described that. Um so can you give me an example of one area that you find is suppressed or not brought to the surface or ignored yeah. as you say?
0: Yeah, sure. So I mean, I think again this is there's always uh, some risk in, in in making generalizations here, but I, I think um that sometimes the generalizations are generally true. So the the, the main sort of drive in a lot of Christian communities. I like that, by the way.
2: (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) Sometimes generalizations are generally true. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It it has to be said. (laughs) Um, uh, So I I think a a good example is that sometimes in Christian communities, the idea of what it means to male and or female, for that matter, um, are are, are sort of narrowly defined... um, in terms of men taking leadership roles, women taking more submissive roles, um, men being heads of households, whereas women are required to be submissive to husbands and, and those kinds of things. And then I think more generally as well, thinking in terms of of how gender and masculinity is is constructed. So, the I mean we we re- recognize today that that gender is something that is fluid and it is something that is constructed and when you when you push for the idea that you can only be a certain kind of male in order to qualify as male that is problematic and and it's also oppressive Mm -hmm. so um giving uh homosexual men the opportunity to give expression to their masculinity um i think is a very important thing and um and and i think the biblical text actually supports that diverse expression and and I, and I think so that the point for me is is trying to say you don't in order for you to qualify as male doesn't require you to be only one kind of male that there's a diversity of expression and that that diversity is in fact celebrated and and acknowledged um if we if we pay attention to the way that the biblical text actually works so um you know I'm I'm very much yeah, very much committed to the idea of, of just pushing back um, considerably on, on ideas that, that short circuit the possibilities um, for men and women, for that matter, to give expression to, to who they are in terms of gender, especially yeah. since it's a fluid idea. Yeah. yeah. And
1: what do you mean by fluid? You, I was going to ask you that
0: yeah so so most of us kind of have the view that you're either male or female and that um your your biology dictates whether you're male or female but the reality is that um gender has to do with with how roles are are ascribed to us and 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 that some of those roles are defined as either male or female Mm. and and the the reality is that changes over time right so maybe a hundred years ago um it was, it was needed for men and women to occupy certain kinds of roles and to do certain things, we assumed that that was um, in some ways the one and only way of, of being male or female. But the reality was even in those days that what was being given expression to was what was needed at a particular moment in history. So um, when I say it's fluid, we're, we're recognizing the, the very basic idea that all through history, women and men have occupied very different roles and men and women have given expression to what it means to be male and female in mm. very different ways mm. and so we we can't we can't make one way of expressing that now suddenly the only way of expressing our maleness or our femaleness so mm. that for me is really quite important
1: wow so yeah basically you know through the eras it it changes the 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 uh, the responsibilities Certainly. change and that also comes with also I think politics as well, I can imagine, affects that, you know, what what impact that has on men and women and, you know, the laws that are created, not just religion, but also, you know, the power struggle that goes on in in the world. Um, Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So just – for for everyone's ideas so because you you said you studied theology and just tell everyone really what just so that they can get a perspective of your you know of your depth here you know how far did you go into the the world of theology and you know tell everyone like yeah what your background is with that and guys for those of you like so i mean this is the theology is basically the study of the bible right the study of religion
0: yeah totally so i mean it's uh i think i probably spent more years studying theology than than anything else um mm-hmm. and and that's kind of led me just in terms of my own um you know this, this academic side of things i've got a, a, a phd in new testament studies i've got a master's in in biblical studies and um, undergrad qualifications in in theology so um theology covers not just the Bible, but it so, also covers... So you're pretty well um, versed, <laughs>
2: in other words. <laughs> just a little.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just needed to get that in there, you know, so everyone can understand, like, exactly to what extent your, you know, your academic opinion of this counts, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah <laughs> one has to earn these credentials in order to gain a hearing in today's society yeah today, well absolutely
1: hey? but i mean you know yeah. you, you've you earned it yeah. you know you've studied hard for it and so yeah. i like to mention that yeah sorry i interrupted you
2: but
0: <laughs> no totally it's fine i mean um my wife uh, my wife would be very grateful for the fact that you're noting how hard i have actually um, studied and how much effort has gone into it because she certainly had to um Carry a lot of the weight um, of, of keeping the family together, and 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 so on. And uh, so, shout out to her for for being as patient as she has been, because it's it's, it's a long journey. Um, and and I th- I think yeah, I mean it, it it's an important journey for me personally, but I think it's also been an important journey for us as a family as well. So nice. yeah, so theology is very much about about the Bible, about God, um, about how various um, religions reflect on that reality and try to make sense of of what that might mean for our contemporary context. So religion isn't just about the study of things that happened in the past. It's also a study about how that mean what that actually means for us today. Mm. Um, And I think I've adopted an approach that is a little more critical. um, And I think necessarily so because um, we we constantly are having to ask ourselves questions in, in the period that, we find ourselves in that, that make us think about whether or not what we have sometimes said in uh, in a particular religious context or in a church, um, whether or not that still continues to hold today. And and I think we we, we definitely need to encourage a more critical view um, of of the Bible and a more critical view of the role that religion plays. And that's not to and say that it no longer has a role to play in our society. I think, if anything, the the crises that we're seeing on a global scale is calling for a more robust engagement of religion in contemporary issues and not just being stuck in the past, but Mm -hmm. but now wrestling with these new realities and kind of trying to make sense of those. So that, for me, has always been a a fairly important point of departure for for the role of, of theology and religion. In contemporary
1: um, context okay and uh, just going back now to that shout out I just want to say it's really nice of you to to mention uh, her, Nikki your wife and you know because yeah. um, you know when you are following a journey of truth you know it's, it's, it's you eat breathe and sleep mm. what you do do you know what I mean it's so a part of who you are yeah. as a human being and so really. I totally get what you're saying you know when it's like you know she's been a part of this journey you know so it's really nice yeah. that you that you mentioned her in this and um what I, what I do want to ask is like because you also had, so just to make this picture even you know more practically clearer but I mean you also stood up in front of in churches right you also ministered right mm. so Yeah yeah I did. Yeah, yeah no well it's cool <laughs> it's cool to say so um so when did you yeah. start developing a critical Sort of debate within yourself of the, you know, yeah. text of the Bible, and
0: yeah, I think that's a great question because I, I, I think, in some ways, um, if I reflect on my journey, it's I think I've always been a little bit at odds with um, mainline thinking or with dominant culture, uh, whether that that dominant culture is the church culture or whether that dominant culture is the sort of broader societal culture. So I I think I've always pushed a little bit against, um, the norms and against the flow. Mm. Um, and so in some ways it was a very natural journey for me to begin asking questions that, that were perhaps not being asked or within, within the church context. I'll, I'll use that as an example. Sometimes, uh, we teach in in the church context. Um, we teach people the answers to the questions we want them to ask us,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and 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 that means we can continue to control the story, you right? manipulate and it, yeah. Totally, totally. And I don't I don't think that that's necessarily done um, in a in a negative or a bad way, with the intention of actually trying to deceive or manipulate. But I think we, as human beings, we tend to we tend to want to make sure that we're able to answer questions. Whereas I think in my own journey, what I've tried to do is position myself as asking the kinds of questions that maybe people are asking, but they're too scared to ask within the context of the church. Mm. And, and I've always found that when, when, I've, when I've been brave enough and courageous enough to ask those questions, that it's actually liberated people to, to go, oh, we can actually ask these questions. We can, mm. we can engage and wrestle with some of the difficulties that we're encountering. Um, in ways that actually make sense of our present reality, and mm. I think that is just such a critical part of 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 the of the positive thing that religion can do is that it can in fact enable those questions and and give people the freedom to ask without the fear of of either being judged or mm. condemned mm. uh because somehow they're they're asking the wrong kinds of questions yeah. so and yeah, so I mean, important that, that for kind
1: of... for evolution right. for for growth, for, I mean, I don't know if you, like, so do you use the word evolution? Is like, what's your whole thing with evolution? Because is that not, that's not really religious or is it? Like, how do you see the word evolution?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I definitely would use the word evolution. I I think it's one of those rich words that can be used in a variety of different ways. I think it's often been used um, in a a kind of uh, context of debate trying to prove does evolution happen or doesn't it? But I think when I use the word evolution, I think what I'm hearing you say is that there there is, there is a developmental um, trajectory for our, our understanding of reality that, that there's a, there's a path that we follow. And and if we're growing and living human beings, then our views of things have to change and and adapt Mm -hmm. to what it is that we're encountering and experiencing and learning. I think, that for me is a good way of understanding a sort of evolutionary mindset when it comes to our growth and development in in understanding either God or how we understand the world or or whatever we may be talking about. So yeah, I I definitely use the word evolution.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so you just talk about asking a question and not fearing to be judged or condemned. So I'm going to ask you a question just because we're talking about evolution and that came up. But so do you believe like what do you believe then just to go to the source quickly? Like do you believe
0: like sure. yeah. Yeah. I mean I I don't have a problem at all in in holding to the possibility that the world came into existence through a process of evolution.
1: Yeah, um, like the big bang theory would, you mean would, or whatever.
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean I I think that the fact of the matter is is that we we don't know definitively but how how everything came into existence i think most most of what we are dealing with anyway is is theory it's hypothesis right mm. and and i think what we need to recognize is that science has a particular angle on the story of the of the the beginning of the world and i think religion has a particular story on or, or an angle on the beginning of the world. Mm. These two are, are, are different stories, but they're attempting to do the same thing. Which but they're is... also attempting to do the same thing, which is to tell the story of the beginning. So science wants to wants to tell that story of the beginning of the world um, using the language of science. Religion wants to tell the beginning of the story of the world using the language of religion, the language of God. Mm. What we've often done is we've, we position these as two um, stories in opposition to each other, instead of recognizing they're two different stories. Yeah, and we need both of those stories actually. Yeah, um, the one the one story can't answer certain aspects of the of of, of how we understand the beginning of the world, uh, and the same holds true for the other story. So science can answer certain things about the beginning of the world, but religion asks. Uh, answers other questions about mm. the beginning of the world. So, what is the purpose, right? So, science asks the question from the perspective of how do we understand how the world comes together. Religion asks the question, what is the purpose of the world coming together? Mm. Interesting. Those are two very important questions to ask. And, and I well, think those they are the are, questions are human be- answers.
1: yeah, sure. And that I mean, that's fundamentally what human beings are constantly searching for, right? It's like a hu- every human being has that sort of that what the why that you know what why what purpose exactly. you know um, exactly exactly and are there great people out there who do merge the two are there sort of iconic people out there in the world who um you know that maybe I would know of or um, you yeah.
0: that do that oh, do bring those question. together I mean I think more and more we're finding um, a, a kind of the happiest space for, for science and, and Christianity, science and religion come together. Um, I can't think of any sort of well-known people off the top of my head, um, but I, I can definitely say that what, what I'm seeing within the academic world and, and what I'm seeing beginning to filter down into uh, sort of religious context, the church context, That more and more there's a kind of acceptance of of a science and a religious worldview that you don't you don't need to separate those two, Um, and and I think that's an important development, um, which is in some ways a fairly recent development. It's not Mm. it's not uh, an area of of particular interest to me, but certainly it it obviously is um, something that comes up again and again. Yeah.
1: And tell me what's like. I mean, what's the whole perspective of the control thing. Like I've heard, you know, you hear this in conversation that religion was also sort of, you know, put into place to sort of create this element of control. And, you know, instead yeah. of this whole free thinking, you know, just let everyone be who they are, which, you know, then comes into your, um, you know, your book topic, yeah. which is about the fact that people can be f- freedom of expression, you know, where they can be gay and whatever, all those names out there, you know, um, whatever they want to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a very good question. Um, I mean, I, I think I think on one level, our, our human nature is to try and construct things um, in ways that, that control what what the dominant story is one is is trying to say. So, look, I I I, I think it would it would be wrong to assume that this is only. Something that religion does, and I think it would be wrong to assume that this is something that maybe only science does or or politics does. I think each 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 um, aspect of our of our human society is set up in, in ways that, that try to. That he has he has a compelling story that we're wanting to push as the only story to to describe reality, and mm-hmm. and the minute we go down that road we're 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 setting ourselves up to control the story. Right. Mm. And so we start we start finding we we start finding the people that would connect with our telling of the story. Mm. You know, people who would think like we think. And so
2: Mm.
0: you can see that society then gets structured around these dominant stories that people buy into um, and that construct society in particular ways. So it's only this group of people versus that group of people. Their story is different from our story. Ours is the right story. Yours is the wrong story. And you can see the, the power play that, that, that plays out in our society on, on this level where there's a competition amongst um, different groups of people to push their story to the front and say this is the only legitimate story, whereas I think what we need to be striving for is a recognition that we need multiple stories. We, we, mm. we are risking too much when we say it's only one story because when you have one story then the risks of controlling others and the way people think um, is very much at the at the surface there and and when you have multiple stories then you you've, you've now got to deal with tension in those stories you've got to deal with um uh, competing ideas and what we've typically done in the western way of thinking is we said if there's a tension or if there's a conflict we need to try and resolve it and we need to find the solution to the problem. Whereas I think we could learn a whole lot from saying, let's live with the tensions, let's live with the contradictions, let's live with the fact that we can have multiple perspectives mm. um because it's life's a lot more fluid and a lot more dynamic than than a than a story can even contain. So yeah. I guess mean, yeah. that makes sense Jen. No, no, that, totally. That, and I I mean absolutely.
1: And it, what what it's making me think of um you know just in terms of learning to live with attention and so this is obviously an, another question that that was sort of arisen within me is like what's your um idea about then the whole meditation world because that's um, mm. you know, that's one thing they teach you in meditation, for example, is just learn to live with that uncomfortable feeling, not learn to live with it, but I mean, learn to just accept it. Like sometimes, yeah. uh, some things are not right or whatever the case is. And often it's just about yeah. sitting with that uncomfortable feeling and just accepting it and the uncomfortable feeling at a certain moment will pass. But so I'm just curious what your feeling is about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that idea definitely resonates with me on on different many different levels. I I think I've come to a place in my own spiritual journey to where I've recognised that there are many things for which there is no resolution, no answer, no um you know no no kind of um, conclusion. And and I think the point is, I I, I can't I can't present myself um, as having everything together. and and not having a shadow side to my my personality not having aspects of my personality that that maybe are in sometimes in conflict um and i think what meditation does is it brings you into a space where you are able to hold all of these things together um without an attempt to try and either explain something away or pretend it's not there so for me the worst kind of of, of religious expression is the kind that requires us to pretend that everything is together and everything is fixed, mm. and I just can't see any of that jelling um, with with what I encounter within the Bible itself. With where there, it, where there's this deep tension and 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 and, and um, an overwhelming sense of of authenticity that says it's okay for you to at one and the same time um, feel like your life is together, but then also feel like it's falling to pieces. Mm. Um, and we've got beautiful examples that that kind of bear this out in, in some really incredible ways. So, just as one example that sort of comes to mind immediately it is, um, you know, we I think the Western Christian mindset is, is typically brought into the idea that you you can't get angry with God, mm. um, but yet if you if you go to the Book of Psalms, there are countless examples of the psalmist. Getting really angry with God mm. and, and, and and calling God to task, actually saying you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. this is actually a problem. Mm. You promised to be X, y, and Z, and now my experience at this particular moment in my life is proving that to not be the case and and so they they sometimes very um, very angrily and in some ways violently rage against God mm. and, and kind of say this you're not being who you're supposed to be. Like for me, that doesn't reflect a moment of disbelief or unfaith. It actually re- reflects a moment of robust faith that says, in this relationship with God, I can. I can. It allows me to be authentically myself. And I think the meditative space is, is is allowing that, bringing all of the parts of our lives together mm. um, in a way that that is more integrated rather than trying to pretend this part, you know, doesn't exist. Yeah. I think that's problematic.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. And it, but that, you know, um, I meditate and, you know, it's pretty hard to get into that sort of really good zone of meditation when you have young kids, (laughs) because it takes me about (laughs) (laughs) 10 hours to get there and I don't have 10 hours. No, but you know, anyway, um, but um, you take
2: what you can get. Yeah, though. you
1: take what you can get, man. It's like, <laughs> I'll take ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, um, exactly. But, um
1: um but I, you know, I can connect with that feeling, you know, because it, it this this immense sense of peace, you know, if you are able to mm. meditate and sort of just get in that space of letting go and just accepting what is and just saying, I don't. I'm not going to try and get anything from this. I'm not asking the universe or God for anything. All I'm doing is I'm saying I'm here. I'm showing up to, you know, to God. I'm showing up to my universe. I'm just saying I'm here and I'm going to. And the funny thing is, is when for me, the biggest and the most profound connection is always when I connect with that love energy and my heart and I. And i totally. send send love to my neighbor to well to everyone in the house and my mm-hmm. neighbors and then the city and then the world and um yeah. that's what always brings me to the most profound space within myself is when I send love, not yeah. ask for anything but send it, and when I do that, totally. that's when peace comes, truth comes, yeah, yeah, just connection with what really is, which is just right now, you know now being present. Yeah um what um what like
0: that's beautiful
1: yeah yeah it's um you know and like I said it's I sometimes wonder if mothers are cursed because (laughs) you know it's like when you have kids you just don't have the time and I'm thinking but I don't understand because I'm a mom like I really need to be in a zen space and all I do is I shout all day (laughs) but um anyway (laughs) like you said we all have that shadow in us you know (laughs) Um, and that's
2: okay Yeah, that's okay. no, it's good, I'm
1: good I'm, I, Like I said to someone yesterday, I'm, not, I'm, I'm unapologetic <laughs> I'm not going to apologize Yeah,
2: it's good
1: But Bob, so, I'm sorry, now I'm calling you Bob That's our sort of childhood name But um, Robert, so <laughs> Yeah, sorry um, uh, Rob, so what's, um, yeah, what started this interest to even go down this world of religion and, and spirituality And, you know, where did this come from? Like, when yeah, did you I, even know I mean, I think, to go into this world? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's a strange journey. I, I, I think if uh, your listeners were, were to know the, the full story, they, they might be very surprised. But um, I mean, originally, through most of my adolescence whilst I was at high school, the plan was that I'd end up in, in you know, going to nature conservation. Um, so pretty much uh, an introvert, loner, you know, nature conservation was more important than anything else in the world. Um, But it just so happened at the time I grew up in a Christian family, so that, that sort of plays a role. Um I think I was reflecting on it recently that uh, that, that experience of childhood growing up in a Christian home it exposed me to expressions of Christianity. What I realized as I was reflecting on that, that there were, I always felt that there was something missing from that experience. Um, mm. It was it was a it was a good experience and it definitely shaped my my view of the world. But I always felt like there was something missing. Anyway, I have this story of nature conservation. And by the time I, I reach uh, grade twelve, um, needing to make decisions about further studies and where I was going to study, I started to apply for um, studying nature conservation. Um, and it just happened at the time that my dad was busy doing some part-time classes at a Bible school, and I saw what he was being exposed to, and it, it just connected with me in a way that I, I couldn't explain. It, it,
2: yeah.
0: It's like there was some sense of it speaking to a need, uh, speaking to a thirst in me to want to study the Bible in a in a more, um, sort of rigorous way, and um I remember at the time sort of thinking uh and, and kind of reflecting in my sort of prayer life you know what what would it look like if I reconsidered the, the trajectory of my my career and um i I decided I needed to go and speak to the principal of the Bible college at the time I went and met with him and um it, it just was for me, one of those moments of confirmation where things just lined up
2: mm.
0: and um, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a particularly good student um, in high school. I had to work really hard to to pass, just pass. Mm. Um, but I, I found that when I, when I started my, my studies the following year and um, started studying theology, everything just fell into place and mm. I started excelling academically Amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really has been a very, um, very strong sort of part of my journey, and you know, to be honest, I haven't really looked back since. I I think I've always had a very strong sense of what I was wanting to do, um, and my my career has allowed me to to do that. And I find myself in a somewhat different space at the moment. What do you mean? What but do you
1: mean? My career has allowed me to do that. What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah
0: so I, I think the the trajectory of my career has allowed me to give expression to a passion for teaching and a and a passion for wrestling with the Bible in authentic ways and and seeing how that can open up the the world for the students that that I was privileged to have in my classroom mm. and and that is is has been a very a very profound sort of part of my journey but I and now, you know, many years into a career, find myself not in the classroom anymore. But you know, in a sense, in the back office, sort of backbone of of the the academic um, context, working with new programs and and um, developing new programs, and now not even in a theological context anymore. So, I think there's been a, a thread that's held all of that together: this passion for teaching and this passion for For the role that teaching can play in in allowing students to flourish, and if you've got students who are flourishing in their lives, that flourishing you know flows over into the lives of the people that they're in contact with, and I think that's how society changes. So I think the the actual passion that I've always had is 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 education, and 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 kind of seeing that as as the primary driver. Uh, for social change in society and so on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, like right now, so what exactly are you doing now in the education?
0: So I work for an institution, a private institution here in South Africa, um, Boston city campus. Yeah, because
1: that confused um, me. I was thinking, have you moved?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's confused as many. Uh, Boston Campus is in South Africa, despite the name Boston, um, and uh, my primary role is to give leadership to academic planning and development for the institution. Um, and it's, it's one of the bigger private higher education institutions. And what's interesting for me in my in terms of my own journey is that it's it's totally unrelated to the Bible, totally unrelated to theology, um, but it's it's very much grounded in in that story of, of education and the role of education to, to change people's lives.
1: Yeah. But so just in a, like briefly in a nutshell, like what courses do they offer?
0: So they offer a range of programs, um, in mostly in the commerce field. Okay. Um, so bachelor of commerce, bachelor of commerce in human relations, um, bachelor of commerce in law, um, postgraduate diploma in in, uh, business management, Mm. um, several diplomas, several higher certificates. Um, So, yeah, we've also got a Bachelor of Social Sciences. And um, so we're kind of bridging the the commerce side and the social sciences at the moment. But um, but the intention is always to to expand that as as much as we possibly can uh, to provide for more students. Yeah.
1: So what made you go... So just can, can you, in a like a nutshell, just tell me the steps so just so I can see the train that you traveled after school?
0: So after school, I did a lay diploma in theology, Then mm. that was followed by a Bachelor of Theology. Um, uh, and during that time, I also qualified as an ordained Baptist minister, and then I did my my licentiate in theology, which is equivalent to an honors program, Hmm. and then went on to do a master's, uh, master of arts in biblical studies, and um, then went on to complete my PhD in New Testament studies. And, um, yeah, so that's the sort of, yeah, the the steps from finishing school through to... Okay,
1: but in the meantime... The work, the work that you were doing in the meantime in the background or were you getting sponsored doing all these PhDs?
0: No, so I, I've, I've always had to um, make my way. Um, so definitely during my master's studies, I, I was working at the same time and I was teaching at, at two different theological institutions in a part-time capacity. And um, then I pastored a church for three years um, it turned out not to be a Baptist church, but an Anglican church, which was probably one of the, the most um, beautiful experiences I've had. Also, one of the most difficult experiences. And then, um, then I, I ended up teaching at a, at a Christian college that offered theology, um, community development, and psychology. Um, so I ended up teaching there for for nine years.
2: Wow!
0: Um, yeah. I went from being a lecturer to be in the head of a department to eventually finishing off my time at that institution as the Dean of the faculty. And um, yeah, and then recently about four years ago, in fact, I moved over to, to Boston city campus to take on a completely new, um, you know, part of my story. And in between all of that, uh, written the book and got another book project on the go and um, had you know got married have two children and and you know as as most people do you just try to fit everything in as best you can
1: yeah and like if because you've done so much studying like what what's been that drive for all that studying because i mean you know obviously you can do a whole lot of studying um yeah but for example okay not everyone's necessarily studied to write a book like some people learn through writing a book yeah. you know about information so it's not sure. like no one ever sure. said you had to do all the studying why all the studying
0: <laughs> i think i think many people ask me that question <laughs> i sometimes have asked myself the question yeah. why on earth would i put myself through it um, i mean i i think at the heart of it i i really do love studying um, I think because, you know, having completed high school and not not really done particularly well in high school and then found something that I was very good at, um, I think that's certainly um, a factor. Um, I, I just I resonated with what I was studying and so I wanted to study it more. And mm. so the more I studied, the more I wanted to study. Mm. Um, one layer, I think another layer is also just recognizing... That in order for me to pursue an academic career um, as a lecturer i also recognized that i needed to get to you know to the highest point which is a PhD. <laughs> to know what you're talking
1: so, about <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and the truth <laughs> is that even when you get to that point you actually realize you, you know even less than you what still you're don't talking. know yeah
1: i've heard that before it's so funny <laughs> Obviously, um, learning and development is like one of your biggest value systems, you know, for you. Like it just, it, it feeds totally. your soul, you know, to keep learning. It's just like yeah. you will always learn. It's, it, 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 it just makes you feel connected with yourself, you know, to be learning.
2: Absolutely. Um, so
1: yeah. what's, um, I'm just curious. I thought about it earlier. Like what's your nicest mm. verse from the Bible? Do you have one?
0: <laughs> Nicest verse from the Bible. Yeah. Uh, yo. Like, I don't there, like questions
1: like that. Oh, sorry, yeah. Okay, that's like, that's like no, me asking okay. my, when I have guys in the studio or have women sing, when I have singers yeah. in the studio, they they look at me and they, they can see, like especially ones that I've interviewed before and I maybe do, do another interview with them on a live show or whatever. They're like, yeah. I, I know what you're thinking. Don't even ask me to sing. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah.
2: this is like suddenly asking a singer exactly. to sing
1: when they haven't trained their
2: voice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly uh, okay. I, mean, I think i think the reality is i mean it's the, the bible there's a lot in it i, I think there there aren't there aren't singular verses that sort of pop up for me as being the kind of most important i think they're the key stories for me that that are that are really significant i, I think the off the top of my head the one that I find always seems to resonate with so much of of what goes on in our society is is found in in the book of Exodus. And uh, it's it's this idea of God recognizing and identifying with the pain and the suffering of those who are being oppressed. And like for me, that's been a key driver um, in my scholarship. It's been a key driver in how I've, Try to position myself within society as well and it's if if god if god can recognize and hear the cries of those who are being oppressed then i also need to tune my ears into to to hearing those same cries and Mm -hmm. then you know kind of asking the question how do i contribute to, to the liberation of those who are being oppressed in one way or another
1: yeah nice I mean, it's such a nice it's yeah it's 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 such a right, it's just so nice being on this journey of yeah. and I know what you said you know we all have our shadows, we're not perfect, like you know, and I'm the first to admit yeah. that also about myself, like but you know it's just so nice when you know you're on a journey that adds value, you know that really adds value to society, okay. you know what I mean yeah totally I, I think that's
0: that's the point, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, that should be the point. And, you know, well, for me, these interviews are all about recognizing people. You know, it's about, for me, it's about recognizing when people are on a truthful path and a path that really adds value and meaning, you know, in my eyes, obviously. I mean, you know, everyone has their own opinions. But, um, you know, I think it's amazing when people are on this, yeah, this journey of... Totally, just real truthful connection with themselves. And yeah, I mean, obviously all the your skeletons come out the closet, you know, along the journey and, you know, that's that's normal. And it's about keep keep on going with that journey. And I was thinking earlier that yeah. um, you know, you were talking about keep on going with the journey. And like maybe in a way, you know, you working at this college now, which is totally not the how do you say the theologically related? Theologically, would the- you say? Yeah, yeah like totally yeah, not I would, yeah. okay not theologically related it's almost it almost gives you like this breathing space this like disconnection yeah. from that world where you can explore these books right because you're not like in it at yeah. the moment I think
0: that's it that yeah I think that's totally a Jane. I, I I think I've definitely recognized that the opportunity I have in the space that I'm in at the moment is is just that that it's it, I'm, I'm away from what was the norm, and it's given me an opportunity to now look at a completely different world with a different set of eyes, and I know that I'm able to bring into that space things that come from that theological world. Um, and, and I think it's forcing me to, to ask the question, like, how do I do that in a way that's um, authentic? And, yeah. and I think I'm enjoying that side of things very much.
1: And so, why the the why the discussion about masculinity? Where did that come from? Where was the seed of uh, curiosity within that?
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, I think I've always um, struggled to with my own with my own sense of, of masculinity. I've struggled with with how that is placed with within the the sort of dominant culture. So, I, I'm not your typical raga baga um you
2: know
0: i i just don't conform you're not like to that typical
1: alpha male what? like raga baga the guys in america might no. not know what that is so <laughs> but um yeah yeah, yeah. That sort of typical alpha male that stereotype either the football yes. type or the you know the, the yeah exactly. the dude you're not the dude yeah. type or yeah whatever yeah
0: i'm not i'm not the dude i'm not the dude type i'm not super sporty, I, I, I don't do like the big games that, that you know, the true men, you know, kind of think are somehow, you know, definitional for what it means to be male. So I just, uh, I don't fit those paradigms. Um, and, and I think my experience with, uh, with students studying theology in particular also resonated on, on many different levels there as well. Just students who would who had a, a sense of wanting to, to really serve in, in the Christian community, but, but encountering stories in those communities that, that made them feel less than male um, mm. because they didn't conform to the, to the norm. And, and our society is like that. Our churches are like that. Um, our religious organizations are like that. And, and, and that the, the, the journey, I suppose, in some ways is, a, is my own journey wrestling with, how I didn't feel like I fit in and then kind of asked myself, well, what does that actually mean for myself? Right. And, um, so it's, the, the, the book is very much a personal interaction and, and one sort of um, story from, from the book kind of, uh, you know, comes very close to home with, with an experience, um, with my youngest, um, who, who his, his, his older sister uh, does ballet and he's, he's watched it for many, many years. And, um, he came to us one day and he said he wants to do ballet and we were very supportive and enthusiastic about it. And we, you know, my wife immediately called the ballet teacher said, you know, our son wants to do ballet and he's six years old. And, um, she was super keen because, you know, ballet teachers are always looking for men to do ballet because they're so few and far between. And, um, Anyway, so he toodles off and does his first ballet class. Uh, a week later I was um, taking the kids uh, from the school on a school um, uh, excursion and I had him and two of his mates in the in the car with with him and uh, we drove past the, the hall where he had done his ballet and he was so super excited to, to, um, to tell his friends, "Oh, that's where I do ballet, that's where I do ballet and no singer has you know, did he say those words that he has his friends chiming together, but boys don't do ballet. Mm. And I just, I just cringed. I I saw my son's face just change as he realized, like, there are things that our society, I mean, these are six-year-olds, right? What do they know about the world? And yet, they've been socialized into thinking that there's certain things that girls do, and there's certain things that boys do, and you know, we we try to chat to him afterwards, and you know it's okay. You're going to be boys. who don't think that, that, that you know boys can do ballet and what have you. And but the reality is, is his world has changed it's fundamentally changed because of something um, his, his classmates said. And again, they weren't trying to hurt it uh, in the process, but I think that's that's the reality. So I, I think we've got just so many examples of. Of that going on in our culture, where where if you don't conform to the dominant pattern of what it means to be male, you're you're immediately thought of as being in many ways girly. and and that's just that's just wrong.
1: Well, an outcast, whatever it is, you're just not a part of the group anymore. Okay. You, yeah.
2: Exactly. Um and
1: how long so when this happened how long was that before you started writing this book or the idea about writing this book of masculinity came up
0: Yeah so I've already been um working with the, um the topic of masculinity for a good couple of years and um uh, this incident happened this last year i think it was
1: Okay so that just and, sort um, of concurred your yeah your experience yeah. and your um well your drive yeah. to educate and to open a new world of thinking exactly but i mean even before that like obviously you saw that with your st- you say you saw that with your students so would you say that that's kind of where it started yeah. to sort of arise for you because you saw that certain students were being ostracized you know for for yeah. their for their individual individualism which wasn't yeah, that yeah. typical ruggerbugger type, and then they weren't actually being accepted into the into the world of theology, yeah. even though exactly. they wanted to be. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and and even though they had a very strong sense that that's where they needed to be, it just so happened that you know there were unwritten rules about what 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 it means to to be male, and and I think it's those unwritten rules that are that are also Usually problematic across our society. So, you know, we, in more recent times, we, we keep talking about hegemonic masculinity, this domin- dominating um, expression of masculinity that that is not only bad for women um, because it, it holds them down, but it's also bad for other expressions of masculinity that don't conform to that dominate, uh, dominating um, understanding of what it means to be male. So mm. it. It becomes, at that point, toxic because it it, um, it prevents um, full participation in society. I
2: right? think yeah. that's
0: a problem. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, well, it suppresses ultimately, and suppression can only implode yeah. or explode. I mean, it causes either an implosion or yeah. an explosion, you know, because nothing can be suppressed. Yeah. It's exactly. like your your sort exactly. of keyword in this conversation is about fluidity. So you know life, and yeah. and that is yeah. that is the law of life, right? It's fluidity, it's movement, it's flow. Yeah. And if anything is uh, held back from flowing, that's not um, yeah. natural.
0: Exactly.
1: Um. So, what's um, like just into because you're talking about this and you're obviously in South Africa at the moment um is this book of yours um internationally minded is it have you know because obviously you get different parts of the world that are more liberal and free and yeah um but I mean you also get within every country pockets of judgments you know so wherever you are there'll always be some little corner that's has a dark space of judgment yeah. you know but how, how's your book geared yeah. is it very much geared towards the south african audience or is it also yeah international
0: yes so it's 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 being published by an american publishing house um and I, I i did i did locate the book specifically within a south african context but i also wrote with a view to recognizing that there's going to be a wider audience um outside of south africa so whilst it's it's got a very definite South African flavor about it um, in what way South African examples well it uses South African examples um quite specifically, but it's again i I recognize that it's a part of a bigger conversation as well so yes um the, the the crisis of crisis of masculinity is not a peculiar problem to South Africa it's something that that the world is struggling with mm. um, and in in a variety of different ways so uh what, what what the book does do is is first of all try to unpack um, how we understand masculinity studies um, what what that means for how we might approach uh, biblical text um, and and that that sort of way of approaching things has application not just in a South African context but would have an application across the board because I think it's an it's it's, a, it's an issue that that um, is a is a global issue more than just a, a localized um, problem here in South Africa yeah. so it definitely would have an uh, an international audience in mind as well
1: yeah and so what is like what is your hope for this book so the books going to come out so is it going to come out if it's an American publisher is it going to come out where will it come out first
0: uh yeah, I'm not 100% sure on 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 uh, how they're going to distribute. But um, I know that the expected due date for release is August of this year.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, they're having some some problems with with uh, COVID-19 and lockdowns and so on. So the, the the project has sort of stalled a little bit. It was supposed to be out um, uh, already now. I think June.
2: Yeah. Yep. Um, what was that comment uh, yeah. you made
1: on, on LinkedIn? <laughs> I, I I made yeah. a comment back to it. What was that again?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's, it's
0: supposed, to, supposed to have been out already, but it's, you know, we're, we're still busy trying to settle on the cover for the book. Um, but uh, yeah, so things are a bit held up at the moment. I think as everywhere across the globe as everyone's trying to deal with the, the challenges of this global pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah and and uh, the book just also to say the the primary audience for that particular book is is um an, an academic audience um but i have written it in a style that that i think there there would will be parts of it that that might be a little more complicated difficult to to consume but um i have tried as far as possible to to make it a bit more palatable but um it, it kind of also sets the foundation for the next book project that I'm working on um, in which I'm going to tackle uh, the issue of male fragility. So kind of basic premise here is that when, when dealing with issues of masculinity, men can be quite fragile about engaging um, in, in conversation mm. because they feel like there's a lot to lose. and and so kind of wrestling with why do we feel so fragile when we talk about masculinity mm. uh, in the same way that, that we sometimes are, are fragile about talking about race and racial issues as, to, as white people. Um, so I'm kind of playing with a similar idea and, and playing that in, in the next book, which is very, very much this it's only got an outline at the moment. So yeah. that will probably be a, a, a year in the making.
1: Okay. And tell me something um have you do you have an Instagram page?
0: I do. Um I can't tell you how to get I've, <laughs> okay. I've got, That answers I've a, enough. <laughs> I, I hardly ever use Instagram. I hardly ever use no, it. No, I'm just um, I, I didn't I'm, have I'm,
1: a I didn't have a sense that you did. And my the reason why I'm saying it is yeah. because um so you're writing these books, right? It's all, you know, and you yeah. talk about this one book being quite academic and, you know, reaching a, yeah. a much more academic audience, but the next one maybe not so yeah. much. Um, you no. know, are you, like, you know, immediately, I don't know why, but it just comes to me where I think, you know, it's so important for someone like yourself who, who has such um, an in-depth, knowledge of your content you know th- to to have mm. also a yeah a page like instagram where you can allow people the space because it's a more relaxed yeah. pro- you know platform uh, yeah, where you can cool. sort of allow people the space to well, t- for for conversation you know what i mean like anyway yeah. it's just just a thought yeah. because you know this <laughs> this
0: <laughs> i appreciate it
1: yeah i mean this conversation is so profound and real and i think that the the the, you know the the merge the merging of the the religion with masculinity and and really you know someone Mm. not being shy to confront these bigger questions you know it yeah you could help people i mean you know who aren't hanging out in the academic circles but just everyday people who are hanging out on instagram do you know what i mean who have these issues
0: totally yeah. I think you've convinced me. So I'll have to do my homework and uh start putting some well, stuff. Well these actively are the platforms that can in, really in that create
1: space. Yeah. I mean they're just they're platforms that can really yeah. create change because it's where the everyday people yeah. are hanging out, you know? Um obviously Absolutely. your academics and your professionals are on LinkedIn, but you know, the everyday people are on Linked are on Instagram and Facebook. But even yeah, yeah I mean, even Facebook has, Facebook's great for networking, et cetera, but the younger sort of audience, and I think an audience that could really benefit Mm -hmm. from your message is definitely hanging out on Instagram.
0: I appreciate that. I I definitely will take a look at being a bit more active there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 It'll probably yeah. come to me in the middle of the night, like, you know, ideas, but um, <laughs> I just have a feeling yeah. to say that to you. Yeah. But um, Rob, it's been so, that. yeah, it's been so amazing to talk to you. Um, I, I, Another question actually that popped into my head earlier, because I don't prepare questions, you know, it's I'm, yeah. I'm listening and I'm just asking right. from the heart and, but um, so have you, like you did say you've never looked back. Huh? Um, I'm just curious, yeah. like, yeah. You you mentioned earlier in in the in your timeline, you gave yeah. me a sort of brief, brief synopsis of your timeline, and you said that you worked at the Anglican Church, yeah. but that was also the most challenging. Why why was that?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it 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 tended to be a challenging space for me because at at the heart of it, I'm a teacher, and and I think churches often struggle with with a with the role of of education um because by its nature it's a it's a more challenging kind of role mm. uh, challenging you know conventional ways of thinking and i think i think it it, it definitely caused um it it it, it ruffled some feathers along the way and um yeah you know, it it was a it was a particularly difficult moment for us as a, as a couple um but it, I think most of that comes down to i suppose an immaturity across the board, just maybe on my side, an inability to understand what's needed in a particular community, but on the community side, also an unwillingness to to open themselves up to something new and mm. and I think that's always a challenge in in any kind of relationship, whether it's you know the relationship between a pastor and the community or whether it's within the sort of interpersonal relationships, husband to wife, friends to friends, and so on, is it, trying to find spaces where we can uh, have the maturity to recognize the give and take that makes relationships work. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I definitely, yeah.
1: Well, and I think um, I think it's also just any traditional environment, anything that holds tradition. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe. and that yeah, can be, yeah, that can be a, a new uh, woman coming into a family circle. Do you know what I mean? Where there have been these traditions exactly. within that yeah. family for, for maybe, you know, two generations. And then a woman comes in, you know, the partner yeah. to whatever or a man comes in, the partner yeah. to, you know, whoever, and they come then yeah. with their traditions, you know, and then that, like you say, ruffles exactly. the feathers because suddenly it's like, well, we do Christmas like this every year and now you want to do it this way. And then it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, yeah, because I exactly. did it this way. And then it's like, so life exactly. is, is a constant dance of compromise. I yeah. 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 Well,
0: I mean, I, I'd put it this way. I would say that the dance is characterized by the ability of both partners or or both parties um, to to know when to assert themselves, but also when to abandon themselves. Like Mm. that constant back and forth. Like I need to say, no, this is is what I need. This is what I want. I also equally need to be able to say, despite what I need and what I want, I'm going to step back from that for the sake of, And it's kind of negotiating that, right? Mm. Um, And I think in some ways that makes for a healthy relating. It certainly makes for a more complicated relating, but I think that's the point is that we we can't, it can't just be one um, party always exerting themselves over against the other party, you know, bent on trying to get what they want, regardless of, of what the other person might be thinking or feeling. So it's, Trying to figure that out, and I, I suppose dance is a great metaphor for mm. for a give and take. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I'm just curious, actually. Like, what's the deeper level to that? Like, what is it? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, because I was thinking maturity, but I think there's even a layer deeper. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it Well, I think because while you're saying this, I'm thinking that shows maturity, right? Sense of maturity to yeah. know. You know, you're not having a little win. cat fight now over some, you know, whatever, like, oh, well, you got this, or I got that, you know, it's not like a cat fight. And I mean, I'm yeah. like, I'm, when I say this, I'm seeing this on all different, huh? in all different industries. So yeah. even in the home between right. couples, but a cat fight, even in the church, you yeah. know, so um, totally. uh, it's about, well, my first thought was to have that sense of maturity would allow you to know. But I think that there's, a, there's even a deeper level. I think it goes deeper um, mm-hmm. that it would, well, okay. So maturity, what would go deeper than that? My first thought is acceptance, right? Yeah. Yeah, um,
0: I would agree. I would totally agree. Yeah.
1: But then I guess to go even deeper than that, which is ultimately what we were all striving to connect to, is then, I guess, love. And then, yeah. basically, what you're talking about is a war between love and ego.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I think Brene Brown does. Yeah, I think Brene Brown does a really great um, sort of thing on this one. I, I think the, those deeper levels have to do with acceptance, belonging, um, and as you say, like at the deepest level, it's love. And I, I think what's what's interesting is if I if I don't love myself. I can't really love others, right? Um, Absolutely. Because I'm going to be looking to those others to to give me what I need to give myself. Yes. So I need to accept my own acceptance. I need to accept my own belonging. I need to belong to myself. Yes. Um, and, 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 And not always be looking to others to give me that sense of belonging and acceptance. And when I can accept myself and I can love myself and I can belong to myself, truly to myself, then... Then I, I can engage with the world. I can engage with people in a way that is a lot more freeing, and mm. and I can give to the world. And I can recognize, I can understand um, when when I can assert myself and when I can abandon myself. I can I know the movement that is necessary at a particular moment, precisely because I, I'm not looking outside of myself uh, for all of the validation and all of the love and all of the belonging because I've become secure and safe and and, and complete within myself. And mm. I think you know, that's an important sort of aspect um, in the conversation as well.
1: It's funny, right? Because, I mean, I've said this before in some other context or interview or whatever, but, um, you know, we, we're all just traveling the same journey of discovery of being like this you know, however you want to call it whatever, but like soul in a body traveling this human life, you know, and we, we use different mm-hmm. vehicles to do that. So you've chosen your vehicle of education and religion. And, you know, for me, I've chosen a vehicle of sort of more media and um, interviewing other people choose different. Ve- Everyone yeah. chooses their vehicle to explore yeah. the purpose, the reason, the why, which is what we started talking about, you know, in the beginning. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what you just said it's like it is it's profound to every element of life you know even in a relationship it's about knowing i mean that's Mm. what that's the key to marriage it's about knowing when to say yeah i'm gonna step back and not uh, what was your words exactly you said i'm gonna what did you say
0: yeah, you know, to, to abandon your, to, uh, yourself. Yeah, to, to abandon from, yourself. Yeah, 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 you know,
1: I, I'm going to just abandon yeah. myself in this. <laughs> it, uh, it does make me laugh. You know, it's like, can you can imagine yeah. like this two, you know, marriage, this couple having this major fight. And this woman or the man's thinking yeah. in their head, okay, I think I need to abandon ship right now. Like this, this is not a fight I'm prepared to go down the yeah. battlefields with. You know, I'm going to abandon myself right now. Yeah. Like, awesome. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I think if, oh, no. you know, more people just abandon themselves, the world would just be a hell of a lot yeah. more forgiving and accepting. It's a nice place to end, actually. Sure. But, totally um, yeah, stunning. It's been so amazing to speak to you. And I think just yeah. on closing, like, so since we've spoken a lot about the book, which was definitely what got my attention also uh, coupled with, you know, the comments that I see coming from your profile and I'm going to wait and look forward to your Instagram profile coming up because I'm way more active on there than LinkedIn. Although LinkedIn, I go for the serious things, yes, you ma'am. know, so you definitely need to be That's hanging right, out on course. Instagram, <laughs> but um,
2: yes. ma'am. Yes.
1: So just a quick one. Um, uh, what, yeah. What, what tips would you give, and not just about necessarily masculinity, but what like what would just be yeah, a nice yeah. closing sort of uh word from from Robert to everyone out there listening in terms of just being able to connect with their truth
2: Wow
0: um I mean I think at 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 the most basic level, I would say that that we need to. We need to hold all of ourselves, all of the layers, all of the complexities all of the uh, the textures that make us who we are we need to we need to hold all of those together. i think the part of the journey towards um our truth is a journey towards accepting ourselves and and it's also a journey um journey both inward and outward. I think you said something earlier which for me has just resonated in a major way this. You, know, you send love out to your family. You send love out to your neighbors. Um, it's outward-looking, um, and yet it can only be outward-looking because there's a reservoir of love that, that, that you have that you're able to then give, you know, release to others outside of you. Um, and, I, and I think maybe there's, there's something that we need to hold on to and kind of find ourselves in that space.
1: Nice. Thanks. Yeah, and I love I love how you talk about just holding on to all the textures and that's what you really started with, you mm. know, in describing yourself being well you you used it in a way of talking about textural and thick, you know, these were your words and yeah um you know, thick layer and very textural and I think it's yeah, that's stunning and it's so nice to see it in that way of I love how you say that. Just hold on to all your textures, you know. You you couldn't say that any better, like mm. because that immediately just makes you feel okay with yourself.
0: Totally, yeah. Thanks, Jen.
1: Yeah, thanks, Robert. It's been so nice to talk to you. When when I turn the phone on, then I'll call you, Bob's again. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. That's fine.
2: <laughs> oh, it's been amazing. Send <laughs> my love to.
1: How beautiful was that conversation? I had a smile on my face throughout the conversation itself. I had a smile on my face throughout the editing of this conversation. And every time I connect with it in my mind and my heart and my soul, I have a smile on my face. So, you know, that's what these stories do. They they sit with you. They stay with you because you've now connected with the essence of the human being that's told the story. And Rob, I just want to say thank you so much for, yeah, coming on to my show and sharing this story with all our listeners and um, being vulnerable, answering uh you know unprepared questions and um yeah just making this world a better place you know for for all you kinds of people out there um yeah every other human being is indebted you know we we need people to go out there and connect with their truth and I think if you're connecting with your truth it will inevitably always make the world a better place so thank you for being you and um for coming onto the show with me and now it's time for me to introduce my next guest. So my next guest on the show, uh, Etheline Funden-Wall-Bake, uh, is an acupuncturist. She used to be a teacher. Uh, she lived in Africa as well. She is Dutch, um, but she has an amazing story of how she came to be an acupuncturist. Um, through her, her teaching world, she's come to to heal people and she's written a book as well. And we really talk a lot about the book and the philosophies around the book. Um, I don't want to go into that yet because obviously you come onto the show and listen to it with us next week as well. But, um, what a vibrant woman. Um, yeah, also such a positive conversation as all these stories are, of course. And, um, yeah, just has amazing philosophies. So you'll really go home with, um, yeah, with, uh, content that you can already sort of implement in your daily life in terms of, you know, how to cope with difficult situations or, uh, how to make better decisions. Um, and just a, a connection with self, um, is what that conversation is going to give you. So yeah, guys tune in next week. Don't forget to subscribe because then you will get, uh, each episode in your mailbox every week. And uh, share this on with friends, please, because, um, yeah, I'm growing this organically and I've had so much positive feedback from everyone from all over the world, America and Singapore and New Zealand and Australia and, yeah, South Africa and Holland and uh, England, just Yeah, so many countries of people that are tuning into the show. Uh, Don't forget to go on some Instagram. And if those of you are needing an interview, then as I said, you can go onto my website at inspirationalinterviews.com and you can just send me a message through the form there. So guys, have an amazing week and see you on the flip side.